He's, he's the Adam Crowley Show. Oh, I like him. <laughs> he's a handsome guy. ESPN Pittsburgh, 970 AM and 106.3 FM. <laughs> Today is the first day of the rest of our lives. All right, it's it's really not. It's just the first day of the unofficial second half of the Pirates' season, which means I am amped. One game under 500, five and a half back in the wild card, four and a half up in the Mega Bowl. The Buckos, they are ready to roll. You found the Crowley Show where your mom listens, and you should too. 412-922-2874 is the number to call. Or you can join the cast of dozens. Follow us on Twitter at underscore Adam Crowley. Tell your kids. Tell your wife. We doing radio up in here. Got Brian LaMartina sitting across from me. Got shirtless Tom beyond the glass. Intern Jerome is here trying not to F things up. However, unsuccessfully, that's going. We'll get into the Pirates in... Well, some detail. We'll also talk about the state of Major League Baseball, but first, Dolphins owner Steve Ross calls the anthem protest line in their rules proposal just a placeholder line. That's it. It's just a placeholder line. Really, man? The Baltimore Ravens, since they went to training camp early, also had to submit their suspendable offenses under the guise of conduct detrimental to the team, and they didn't put anything about the anthem controversy. They did not. The Dolphins, however, did. You got some splaining to do, Stephen Ross. Actually, this all kind of works out, right? If you are a fan of players and their rights, and if you are a fan of players using their platform to try to make the world a better place, then this actually wound up helping because this actually got the NFL to put a freeze on the new anthem policy until the NFLPA gets their say. This is a big day for the National Football League in that regard. We can all thank Stephen Ross. Way to go, baby. Yeah, Stephen Ross. Good stuff there by you, man. Man, if the NFL wanted to get this shiz off the front page, they've done a terrible job of it. I mean, they've done a terrible job of keeping this stuff out of the mainstream. It is July 20th. It is two days after the All-Star game. There is nothing else going on in the natural world of sports. Nothing. We got the Open Championship. That's not something you talk about mainstream on radio. You can't make that all that interesting unless you're Jerry Dulac or unless Tiger Woods is genesising himself atop the leaderboard. So we ain't talking about it because he did not. Fig Jam's doing some stuff, but again, who cares? It's Friday. That only matters on Saturday or Sunday. What I'm saying is, there ain't a lot going on, and the NFL wants to be talked about year-round, but not like this. The anthem controversy was supposed to be put to bed by the compromise that they didn't propose, but just flat-out ran with, right? Wrong! The compromise was never going to work. I said it from the start, which has made me now kind of reconsider my entire position on the whole thing because I am that cynical, and it makes me wonder if the NFL did want this all to be out, if the NFL did want these discussions to take place because when the upcoming collective bargaining agreement comes up, 
the question's going to be asked, do you want to stand for the anthem or do you want to smoke pot? Do you want to kneel for the anthem, I suppose would be the right way of phrasing that, or do you want to do drugs? It's going to come down to that. I saw Colin Dunlap from the station across the street tweet that out today, and yo, I've been saying that for months. This is all probably a clever ruse by the National Football League to attempt to get this to an 18-game schedule. You want to do drugs? Fine. You want to kneel for the anthem? Fine. You're going to have to listen to 18 anthems play, though. You're going to have to sit through 18 football games. Your head is going to have to bash against another human being's head 18 times. So maybe it's not the NFL being stupid. Maybe it's not the owners thinking that they actually had a lockdown compromise. Maybe it's not Roger Goodell thinking that this was the proper way to appease the president. Maybe they're all just playing a game against the National Football League Players Association. And if they are, man, I think they're winning. Tennessee Titans defensive lineman says he's going to kneel for the National Anthem. You now have the owner of the Dolphins having to backtrack off of the rules that they put up for approval yesterday. The reason he has to backtrack on that is because so many players on social media got PF'd and radio members from across this great country that we all love football, they all said, yo, that ain't right, man. Four games for kneeling during the anthem when you've got Jameis Winston groping women for three games? That's not right. That's bad. When you kneel, I promise the flag don't feel it. I promise you ain't hurting the flag. I promise it's okay. But when Jameis Winston gropes someone, there's actually a victim there. You know there's no victim whenever NFL players kneel down, right? You know that, right? And then you've got that stupid-ass coach for UNC, whose football team went 3-9 and nine last year, and he says one of the reasons the military is so great is because everyone plays football. Well, wait a second. Wait a tick. Does that mean Colin Kaepernick's like a general or something? I don't understand. Uh, things are getting blurred here. I'm confused. I do think that this is all the National Football League trying to position themselves, trying to dig a trench, for the upcoming labor dispute in a couple of years. The drug thing, for a long time, has been something that they have been very hard on, and I think it's because they want the 18-game schedule. It's all for appearances. Uh, Roger Goodell having this unilateral power and the ability to suspend people for conduct detrimental, whatever the hell that means, is something the players desperately want to not be there anymore. How much do they want it to be there? And that's the question. 412-922-2874. Tweet me at underscore Adam Crowley. Yesterday I was pretty hard on Mike Tomlin, comparing him to Bill Belichick. And upon further reflection, it's probably not fair to compare Mike Tomlin to the greatest head coach of all time. Although, wait, I wasn't comparing him to Chuck Knoll. Bam! Bonus points in Pittsburgh. Whether I mean it or not, that's for you to decide. I was comparing Mike Tomlin a lot yesterday to Bill Belichick because James Harrison compared Mike Tomlin to Bill Belichick. And uh, uh, is that really the nicest thing to do? You know, Andrew McCutcheon's great. He's no Mike Trout. Well, okay, no one is. Probably not fair. 
It doesn't mean that Mike Tomlin Steelers can't come up and bite Bill Belichick's Patriots in the ass every once in a while. That'd be nice. Uh, you're allowed to win games against them. Other teams have. Uh, the Dolphins have beat them. The Jets have beat them. If they could beat them, the Steelers should get a chance every so once in a while to pop up and win that football game. So I will be critical of that. I don't think there's any reason for Mike Tomlin not to be the Steelers coach. John Ledger was on the program yesterday, and he said maybe it's time to go in a different direction. I don't know if I'd quite go that far. I'd like to see what the Steelers' secondary looks like this year with a new secondary coach. I'd like to see how the Steelers' offense looks in terms of efficiency with a new offensive coordinator. I think those moves can't be overstated. I think that they will make a difference on this team. I don't think that Cornell Lake was doing a very good job. I don't think Joey Porter's doing a good job, but they didn't get rid of him. I like Todd Haley's job for the most part, keeping Ben Roethlisberger healthy, but they're far too inefficient at punching the ball in the end zone from the red zone that it was time for him to go to. Plus, the quarterback didn't like him, so that kind of means something. Mike Tomlin, I think, deserves our respect. And Mike Tomlin, I think, deserves the benefit of the doubt to make these changes, and let's see if these changes go somewhere. Now, if they don't, and they don't win the Super Bowl this year, yikes. And that's a lot of pressure to put on an organization, but it's the kind of pressure the organization's already putting on itself. They want to win the Super Bowl every damn year, and with the talent they've assembled, they should at least put their name in the hat. Mike Tomlin's going to have a couple more chances with Ben Roethlisberger, but then after that, it's not going to be an easy job. Chuck Knoll struggled in the 80s. It happens to great coaches. But if he wants to win one, this is, I feel pretty confident in saying, the best opportunity this year, and to a lesser extent, I think, with Le'Veon Bell leaving, the next two. But with Bell and Brown and Ben, you got to take your shot. Got to take your shot. But think about other coaches around the National Football League. Who'd you rather have, Marvin Lewis or Mike Tomlin? Uh, Both good coaches. Marvin Lewis, really good defensive mind. Been around in Cincinnati and turned them around from a joke of a franchise to a competitive franchise and one that's a butt of some other jokes, you know, with inmates and all that stuff. You hear that all the time. But he's a good coach. Who'd you rather have, him or Mike Tomlin? Mike Tomlin. Harbaugh is a really good coach. He's gotten the better of Mike Tomlin at times. Mike Tomlin's got the better of him. Harbaugh does not have the benefit of having a Ben Roethlisberger. Who'd you rather have? To me, it's a toss-up. But, like I said before, Chuck Noll, the greatest coach of all time, yeah, give me Mike Tomlin. And you can decide whether or not I'm being sincere about that or not. In Cleveland, doesn't matter. Not worth the conversation. I think Sean Payton's a really good coach. Uh, I'd put him... Up there, I think Pete Carroll's early good coach. I think you have to say Doug Peterson is a very good coach. There's a big gap between Bill Belichick and the rest. And I realize that Peterson just beat Belichick last year, but hey, sometimes these things happen. I think you'd still take Bill Belichick over that guy. If Mike Tomlin isn't the best coach in the National Football League, and we'll all agree he's not, who is slam dunk better than him? 412-922-2874. I don't think there's one guy who's a slam dunk better coach than him. What do you got for me, Tom? You're jiggling your head around. No, I think it's a good point. The only one that really comes to mind is Pete Carroll, but he only has one more ring, and he's been to just as many Super Bowls. Or Excuse me, he has the same amount of rings, and he's been to just as many Super Bowls. So how can you say he's definitively better? And for all these guys, it seems like they only win championships when the quarterback plays out of his ass. 
they didn't do anything until Russell Wilson got there, then they won. Uh, Mike Tomlin Steelers won a Super Bowl with Ben Roethlisberger. Obviously, Bill Belichick has Tom Brady. You think about Joe Flacco, not a great quarterback. You have probably never seen a quarterback play better, though, than Joe Flacco did in that Super Bowl run. It was unbelievable. Is that on coaching? I don't know. So quarterbacks can make coaches look good. But as I scan the landscape of the NFL, I don't see a coach that I would take head and shoulders above Mike Tomlin other than Bill Belichick. Now, he has some things he has to improve. I mean, the discipline stuff is an issue. The miscommunication on defense is an issue. That can't happen, and it happens far too often. But if your name isn't Bill Belichick, you're a coach that does seem to have a lot of flaws. Because it's not a profession where you can be perfect. The other team's on scholarship, too. They've got great players. They've got great coaches. Everyone's in their film room for 15 hours a day eating McDonald's and planning out X's and O's how we can out-execute the other guy. You're going to have some circumstances where you're not going to do as well. You know, one thing, too, is that the style of Mike Tomlin and the lack of, of discipline that is supposed to be taking place there, it's not necessarily a bad thing because a good coach learns how to motivate people, and there's different ways to do that through your own personality. you got hardline guys. Like, here's a great example. There's a lot of radio stations that you work at where the, the PD is on top of everything. If you step out of line a little bit, they pull you back in. Then you come to this show and you look at this. We have a nice, you know, we get our work done. But we have a nice, lax atmosphere. But everything gets done, and it gets done well, and the end result is a good production. So, I mean, you can't say that Mike Tomlin having less discipline than another coach is the deciding factor of why Belichick is better than him. There's a lot of things that go into it. If Bill Belichick had Antonio Brown and Le'Veon Bell and Ben Roethlisberger, I think we'd find there'd be drama there. And to that point, I think we are finding out that eventually drama's going to catch up with you anywhere. Bill Belichick's dealing with drama right now. There was the ESPN piece in the playoffs last year. Tom Brady's not thrilled with the way things are going. They're trying to move away from Rob Gronkowski. Tom ain't happy about that. They stole his gypsy guy who rubs oil on him, so he's irritated there. Uh, it happens. And I think Mike Tomlin does deserve credit for getting the Steelers to 13-3. and Last year, despite dealing with everything that they dealt with, despite getting rid of James Harrison, despite having Martavis Bryant uh, deal with a trade request, despite the anthem controversy, which might have hit Pittsburgh harder than any other team, uh, despite Ben Roethlisberger spouting off an hour before every single Mike Tomlin press conference, they held the team together, they won a lot of close games, and I think he does deserve credit for that. It doesn't mean that there weren't things that needed to get better for the playoff game but I guess the question is who would you rather have than Mike Tomlin you can't have Bill Belichick 412-922-2874 and is there anybody that's head and shoulders better we'll talk to Dale Lolly about that coming up in about five minutes on the show the Penguins signed yet another center yesterday he's their sixth I do want to spend some time talking about that because I think there might be another shooter drop we've got Dan Kingerski of PittsburghHockeyNow.com joining us at 520 to talk about that. Coming up next, though, it is Dale Lolly. Heavy dose of Mike Tomlin. And training camps right around the corner at ESPN Pittsburgh. Tweet Adam at underscore Adam Crowley. Oh, no, finish your tweet. It's not, that's fine. Just give us a second. There you go. Hashtag it. This is the Adam Crowley Show on 970 ESPN and now on 106.3 FM. Mm-hmm. 
James Harrison broke zero news yesterday. We spent an entire hour talking about how Mike Tomlin's not as good of a coach as Bill Belichick, but everyone knew that. Who would you take over Mike Tomlin? Is there anybody that's a slam dunk pick over him other than Bill Belichick? I don't think so. We bring on Dale Lolly now from DKPittsburghSports.com. Dale, before we get into that, you were at Kennywood yesterday. They're putting up a Steelers ride. Did you have fun? Was it an enjoyable experience? Yeah, absolutely. When isn't it a fun experience at Kennywood? I hate Kennywood. You would. I really would, man. What happened to me, man? Like, I kind of suck now. You probably like Hillbilly Wood down in uh, West Virginia. Well, that's not bad. Hillbilly Wood? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Jesus. probably open that. Uh, There's plenty of Hillbilly Wood to go around, uh, particularly in the morning time. Dale Lawley joining us here on the Crowley Show. Uh, Dale, to my previous point, uh, is there a coach in the NFL that you'd slam dunk pick over Mike Tomlin other than Bill Belichick? Slam dunk? No. I mean, I, I know Steeler fans will uh, cry and scream about it. And all that, you know, yesterday's pronouncement by Harrison, who, by the way, has an axe to grind against Mike Tomlin because sure he didn't play him, um, was nothing new there. You could say that about any coach in Bill Belichick. Pick one. Pete Carroll, he's not, he's not wrapped, you know, they're, they're not tight enough. Uh, you know, go on down the line of all the, the, the quote unquote good coaches. And you, when you compare them to Belichick, they're going to, they're going to come up a little short. That's why he is, you know, won what he's won. Um, now you could also argue that he has cheated in some cases. Uh, and you would be correct about that because they have been penalized a couple of times for cheating. So, um, you know, it, it's really, as you said, James Harrison broke no new ground there. Uh, there's much to do about nothing. Dale Lawley joining us here on the Crowley Show. Is there anybody who you would take over Mike Tomlin? Not slam dunk, but anybody that you might think is a better coach than him at this particular moment? Um, in football? Yeah, not to put you not to put you on the spot or anything. I mean, you know, it's apples and oranges. You're, you're trying to compare different situations. I mean, it's. Mike Tomlin's a good football coach. Anybody who argues otherwise is being foolish or something else, and I think you and I both know what that is. Yeah. Uh, does he make mistakes? Yes, they all do. Belichick makes mistakes. But to, you know, to suggest that Mike Tomlin is a bad football coach is just being pigheaded. Dale, how much impact does Mike Tomlin have on building the roster? Because for people who say, well, the Patriots, they win with this kind of talent, and the Steelers have all this kind of talent. Well, I think Mike Tomlin has a lot to do with them bringing in guys like Le'Veon Bell and Antonio Brown and the like. Well, don't put that on him because then people say, well, they want Le'Veon gone. You know, they can't wait till <laughs> Le'Veon's gone. They're going to find out real quickly that, you know, he's a pretty good player. Boy, is that, um, is that, uh, let's, let's tackle that real quick. Cause isn't that silly? That's just everyone putting up their walls defensively, isn't it, Dale? Because I really think Steelers fans next year are in for a reality smack. Uh, I don't think they know how good this guy is. No, they certainly don't, Adam. And I, I, I went back through the years, uh, from the time they drafted Franco Harris in 1972 until they drafted Le'Veon Bell. Uh, and actually including Le'Veon Bell, they drafted nine guys, nine running backs in the first three rounds of the draft. Those nine running backs, in the first, the first three rounds, those nine running backs combined have 5,000-yard seasons, and Bell has three wow. of them. The other two belonged to Richard Mendenhall, and everybody hated him, too. He was a boss, remember? 
So, you know, it's, it's just you don't just go into the draft and say, oh, we'll just go replace Le'Veon Bell. No, you don't just replace Le'Veon Bell. He's a good football player. He's, he's one of the best football players in the, in the country. And, and the other thing that drives me nuts about this is everybody says, well, I wouldn't pay him $10 million. Well, the Steelers obviously disagree with you yep. because they're paying him $14.5 million this year. And whatever the figures were going to be, the reported figures, uh, they were going to offer him something around $14 million a season. Uh, so they obviously understand his value. Uh, so for everyone who says, well, the Steelers don't need him, they 100% disagree. Uh, Dale Lawley, DKPittsburghSports.com, joins us here on the Crowley Show. He, of course, part of Steelers Nation Radio and the Steelers Radio Network. All right, back to Mike Tomlin building this okay. roster. Um, they've got a lot of talent. They, they absolutely do, and he obviously has a lot to do with that. When you find a guy like Antonio Brown and he becomes the best player, uh, maybe in the league, but certainly at the position, I think he deserves some credit for that. When Le'Veon Bell is a second-round pick and he becomes the best player in the league at that position, I think he deserves some credit for that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you can't have it both ways. You can't say, well, Mike Tomlin's got a bunch of talent. Um, and then I'll give Mike Tomlin credit for getting, for acquiring that talent. Uh, you know, it doesn't work both ways. So, you know, people, you know, you can look at this and say, well, the, you know, the Steelers, they've, uh, you know, I've seen this one throughout. They've only won three playoff games since 2010. They've also won uh, a whole bunch of football games. And, oh, by the way, um, you know, it's not for injuries a couple of those years probably win more absolutely and and have been to an afc championship um you know try to want to you know that people should go be a Bengals fan you want to talk about you know playoff futility how about the bills you know pick a team there's a whole bunch of teams out there that would love love to have three playoff wins since 2010 there seems to be this narrative the steelers don't get to the afc championship game the way that they should and I don't buy into that for exactly the same reason that you said, Dale. In 2014, Bell gets hurt the last week of the season. Uh, you're kind of SOL at that point. Uh, when the Steelers went to Denver, they gave that team the no-fly zone, this great defense, everything that they could absolutely handle without Antonio Brown, without Le'Veon Bell, without D'Angelo Williams. Uh, so Mike Tomlin, I think, deserves a little bit of credit for, for that, uh, almost beating the Super Bowl champions with a far inferior roster than the one that uh, you think you're going to be going into playoff games with. Uh, all this underachieving talk, uh, it really bothers me, except for last year. Last year, I'll give it to him. Last year, you, I don't think you should be losing a playoff game uh, at home unless you lose to the New England Patriots. If you lose to the Patriots, I'll give you a pass. That doesn't mean Jacksonville's a bad football team. They beat the Steelers twice. But I think if the Steelers had lost to the Patriots last year, it's at least a little bit more palatable that you say, okay, you lost to the team that eventually goes to the Super Bowl. Sure. Yeah, I mean, I can agree with that. And, and, you know, look, only one team gets to win every year. And, you know, the Patriots are are, are good. Tom Brady is, is perhaps the greatest uh, quarterback of all time. You, ha- you have to give him credit for that. Well, behind Will Greer, but we'll agree to disagree there. Well, that's your West Virginia glasses on again. I do. But, you know, it's not easy to get there. It's not easy to get that far to get to the Final Four. If it was easy, teams would do it every year. Now, New England does do it every, you know, nearly every year, but they don't win every year. I was there last year. I watched them lose a Super Bowl. Um, you know, that happens, and it happened to them last year. Are people ready to say, well, Belichick's a bad coach. He lost the Super Bowl. Or Belichick, you know, he lost, how many times has he lost in the AFC Championship game? Does that make him a bad coach? No, not necessarily. You know, it, it, it happens. And at what point do you look at the players and say, hey, 
you know, you're going to be a little bit better. Um, it, it, you know, it, the players are the ones on the field. If if they you know they go out and, and have a, a a bad series or a bad couple of series as we saw last year with the Steelers, um, you know that can that can blow the game for you. You know you, when you fall behind twenty, you know give up twenty eight points because you turn the ball over twice to Jacksonville, um, you're in trouble. I don't care what what team you are. Dale, to James Harrison's point about the miscommunication on the defensive side, I think we can all agree that. That happens. It doesn't mean that it doesn't happen in other places, but it certainly was a problem last year with the Steelers. Do you think with Tom Bradley, uh, the hope is that that changes? Is that why Cornell Lake's been let go? Well, no. I, th- I think they went out and acquired a bunch of different players too. I mean, it wasn't just uh, you know you're not going to lay that on 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 Cornell Lake's feet. Um, you know, they they get, went out and got guys who were better communicators. Um, you know, they can certainly be better in that area and we'll see, uh, that, that'll be a point of emphasis as we're tackling this year at training camp. And, you know, we'll, we'll see the overall picture as it, as it begins to form here. Um, but they do need to be better in communication and it wasn't, you know, a situation where that was, again, it was where it was just all of a sudden, Hey, they, they were bad in communication this year. No, it, they've had issues. And, and again, this is something that crops up every time they play. New England a lot, you know, a lot of times. Um, NFL offenses are built to take advantage of those kinds of things. That's why they, you know, they, they run guys in and off the field quickly. They go to hurry up offenses. The Steelers take advantage of that uh, all the time. That's why they run their no-huddle offense so teams can't communicate, so the defenses can't communicate. Uh, you know, people tend to focus on their team only. And they don't look at the big picture. The big picture is that every defense has trouble communicating. You think that the, that the, the Patriots didn't have issues communicating last year when they gave up the, uh, the the long catch and run to uh, Juju Smith Schuster. Everybody, you know, well, the, you know, the, the Patriots tore them up. Well, the Steelers tore that off. That defense up pretty badly too. Yeah, no, you are right about that. I remember that week last year. I was all up on that man because. So many Steelers fans were saying all that miscommunication at the end with Ben Roethlisberger uh, turning the football over and the Steelers not knowing what they're going to do. You would never see that in New England. And I said, the Junior Smith Schuster caught a 69 yard pass just beforehand. I mean, come on, it just happened. Uh, Dale Lawley joining us here uh, from DKPittsburghSports.com, Steelers Nation Radio, and the Steelers Radio Network. Uh, Dale, as much as I am focused on this season, it's also been a long time since I've looked towards the future future for the Pittsburgh Steelers, but this training camp, I'm going to focus on that a lot. I can't wait to see Mason Rudolph. I can't wait to see him in the preseason games. I want to see James Conner. I want to see Jalen Samuels. That's what I'm most excited about, really, at training camp. Uh, is that what you're most excited about? Yeah, I think that's what a lot of people are excited about. I, I wrote about that today, just what to look for from the rookies. And, uh, you know, everybody's uh, very fired up to see what, uh, what Mason Rudolph can bring to the table. There's, there's no doubt about it. They, they want to see this kid on the field. They want to see, you know, if he's the real deal, if he's the, you know, the heir apparent. And, um, you know, we'll see. I, I'm not ready to say he's absolutely the guy. I think, you know, you want to see him, um, do some things on the football field, but he sure looks good. There's no doubt about that. Dale, what are the biggest roadblocks this year? Don't say the Patriots uh, for the Steelers going to the Super Bowl. Uh, in terms of, you're not in, talking to Tim Benz here, bud. No, right. <laughs> in terms, in terms of the internal, 
Tim Benz would say Mason Rudolph should start a quarterback, and they're going to beat everyone. Uh, just just throw the ball to James Washington every time. But uh, internally, uh, if the if something's going to bite the Steelers, is it just that the defense is still now? Uh, there's still so much transition there. Uh, there's some of that, and, and of course, injuries are always a big uh, part of it. Um, you know, I, I think there people tend to overlook the fact they're still a really good football team. Um, it's going to be interesting to see how they deploy the defense. Um, you know, how much, how they use all the safeties and, and how they try to replace Ryan Chazier. And, and a big key to this season is going to be if what they do is successful in replacing Ryan Chazier. But they need guys to stay, you know, they have some young guys in this defense, um, that are being paid to play at a high level. And they need to play at a high level. Uh, the Stephon Tuitts, the Bud Duprees, those guys that, 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 you know, the time has come that these guys need to, uh, to put up. And I, and I think, especially in the case of, of Tuitt, I think he's very capable of doing it. We've seen stretches where he's been a dominant player. Um, they need him to be that guy, uh, all season long. He's being paid more money than Cam Hayward. He needs to play like Cam Hayward for an entire season. If they get that and they still have Cam Hayward, if they have two of those guys playing on the defensive line, you and I could play in the secondary, <laughs> and, and it would be better this year. Dale, last thing for you, and I hate list radio, but I just have to bring this up. Gil Brandt ranked the 32 best safeties of all time, and Troy Polamalu was 13th. Are there 12 better I'm, safeties? I'm sure, well, I'm sure Gil Brandt had him behind 12 Cowboy safeties. Well, there. <laughs> <laughs> Almost every safety ahead of Troy Polamalu was uh, the, he was photographed in black and white. So uh, actually, let me put it to you this way. Let me ask you this question: uh, Ed Reed, Brian Dawkins, Troy Polamalu, are any of them head and shoulders above the other? No, no. I I, I would say that that Reed and Polamalu were better than Dawkins. Couldn't agree more with that. But not by a, not by leaps and bounds. Dawkins was a really good football player. Um, you know, you can. Put together the, lists and say and say anything. And the two uh, of them, you know, Dale. I mean, they're they're completely different. Ed Reed and Troy Polamalu. It's really hard to compare those two. They played the, the the position totally differently. Well, one was a free safety and one was a strong. Right. Let's not forget. I mean, so they had different jobs too, uh, but they were both equal equally as, as impactful to those two defenses. There's there's no ifs ands or buts about it. And you know, they were the two best safeties of their generation. Um, you can argue other guys are better, other guys are worse. Who cares? They were both great players. They're both going to be in the Hall of Fame. You know what, Dale? You nailed it right there. Who cares? I cared too much the other day. when I, I was ending the show, and that <laughs> shiz popped up on my Twitter feed, and I lost my mind. Twelve better safeties yeah. than Troy Palomalu. Uh, go eat a fork. Uh, appreciate your time, buddy. And uh, All right, bud. And the, the closer we get to training camp, the more I do get excited. I'm looking forward to hanging with you, pal. I'll bet you are. You, you, are you actually going to show up this year? <laughs> Maybe a little bit more than last year. Okay. Well, that wouldn't take much. No, it wouldn't. See you, pal. <laughs> Bye, Adam. They were disappointed in me last year. My first year, they said I was the rookie of the year, man. I killed it. I was out every night. I was partying my face off. I don't even know how I got back to my place. I didn't drive. I'll be honest with you there. I mean, I'm not, I didn't drive. I'm not, a, I'm not a drunk drive kind of guy. But I have no idea how I got back. And last year, I might have gone out four times. They missed their buddy. And I miss my wife and my dog. We all got a deal, you know? It's very mature of you, Adam. I know. What happened? Dale's talking to me. We start the segment off. I don't like Kennywood. I don't like drinking every day at camp. Wow, you're growing up here right on the air. It sucks. Mm -hmm. I hate it.
We're gonna have to figure out a way to stop that. Yeah. Yeah. Here's what you need to Uber? drink. A, you need to drink a lot of camp this year. Can I drink during my shows? Why would that be any different? It wouldn't be. One thing that Dale said reminded me of a good story. Ish. He was talking about Franco Harris and how good Franco is. Franco. (laughs) And my wife, Leanna, not a big football fan, although she tolerates it. She'll watch all the time if it's on. She thought Franco Harris's name was Frank. Oh, Harris? Right. Oh, no. So she thought it was not Franco's Italian army. She thought it was Franco's Irish army. Now, maybe it's because I got her trained real well. Uh, we're all about the Irish in my place. But Franco's Irish army? Yeah, you missed out just a, just a little bit there, White. Just a tad. Could you imagine it with an Irish accent? <laughs> oh, Joe Pa was a great guy. Franco Harris here. Oh, running across the gridiron for many a touchdown in his day. The pride, the pride of Ireland, Franco Harris. Franco Harris <laughs> from Donegal. What a guy! Loves Guinness, loves it. You know, it is funny though, because when I went to Ireland, I saw a Franco Harris statue. I did. Yeah, because yeah. it's Franco Harris. Yeah, it was in the Pittsburgh airport before I got on the plane. Yeah, but only people going to Ireland get to see that. That's it. Yeah, <laughs> so they they cover it up the rest of the time. If you're flying to Ireland, they pull the cover off. I can absolutely understand her questions there. This is why the Roonies loved him so much. By the way, Dan Rooney, it's his birthday today. R.I.P. Coming up next. Milk? Question mark? It's the Crowley Show. Proof that anyone can have a sports show. Wow. <laughs> Electric booyah base right from Jump Street. Adam Crowley. What's up, players? On ESPN Pittsburgh. The Pirates open the unofficial second half of their season tonight. At 48 and 49. And the only thing that matters the rest of the way, as we've said for weeks now on the Crowley Show, is the Mega Bowl. The Reds are three and a half games back. I misspoke before. I said they were four and a half games back. But this series is large in determining which team is going to win the Mega Bowl. Mega Bowl! Which team is going to finish fourth in the National League Central? It comes down to this series in the Mega Bowl. Mega Bowl. Although we have now decided that because of the Pirates' recent surge and the St. Louis Cardinals' subsequent drop-off, that there's a Super Mega Bowl for third place in the National League Central between the Buccos and the Cards. Cardinals, 48-47. They are only a game up on your Pittsburgh Pirates, so that's going to be not interesting at all. I mean, who gives a rip? But the Reds and the Pirates, that you want to just you want to avoid embarrassment, baby. Mega Bowl! Mega Bowl! There's 10 days. 10 games. 
between now and Major League Baseball's trade deadline. And every year I'm sitting at Sharky's in Lake Trobe, and I'm swilling some beers, and I'm probably bumming some cigarettes, and I'm acting a fool. And I'm thinking to myself, are the Pirates going to be buyers or sellers? And this year they should absolutely be sellers. But if the Pirates win the next 10 games, I'd have to change my tune. Unrealistic conversation to have, sure. But I also thought the Pirates were not going to do well in their last eight games going into the All-Star break when they went 7-1 and one in the week and swept the Milwaukee Brewers. So it is a possibility, if even just a small one, that they could do that. I don't want to be the radio guy who gets up on my pulpit and says the Pirates never do anything when they have a chance to contend. And then this year, if they were to contend, say they should still sell. Now, realism has to find its way into this conversation. And if we're all being realistic, the Pirates aren't going to do anything. Uh, they're five and a half games back in the wild card. They're not as good as the teams that they're chasing. So, likely they're going to sell, and that's probably the best thing for the franchise. And if you sell, you sell. Uh, I'm tired of the soft sell. Uh, I'm tired of trading a bullpen arm here, bullpen arm there. I'm tired of trading one guy here, one guy there. No, you trade your guys. You don't think the Indians could use a player like Starling Marte? You know they could use Corey Dickerson. Corey Dickerson's going to be open, uh, available on the open market, but you don't think they could use Starling Marte? You don't think that they could pay for that guy? You don't think another team could use a bullpen arm like Rivero? We just saw the Indians give up their top prospect for Hand. A player. A player named Hand. Quite a job they did, too, in that deal, I thought. Brad Hand ain't as good as Felipe Rivera Vasquez. He's not. He's probably the Pirates' best trade chip because he's under contract. He throws a thousand miles an hour. He comes from the left side. That's the guy who I think you could get a King's ransom for. I really do. We see relievers get overpaid for all the damn time. We just saw it happen. And Cleveland did the right thing. Cleveland's going for it. You get into the playoffs then you've got as good a shot as anybody else. It's kind of a crapshoot when you get there. I really do believe that. We saw the San Francisco Giants get there as a wild card team, and they won the World Series a couple times. It happens. Once you get in, you can do anything. So Cleveland did the right thing there. But the Pirates seriously need to consider just getting rid of everyone. Everybody. Start this biatch from the ground up. 412-922-2874. I now shift the conversation to what is most forefront on my mind, and that's milk, question mark. Oh, what's up with milk? You guys like milk? I love milk. I had a glass of milk today for probably the first time in God knows. I don't do it all that often. I think I'm going to change that trend. I had a PB&J sandwich. I scraped out the last couple of traces from peanut butter, and it was a brand new jar of jelly, so that kind of perturbed me. Like, what happened there? Something something, something terrible happened yeah, there. Yeah, something was out of sync. Oh, something bad happened. <laughs> uh, God only knows. But I had myself a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, and then I knocked that some bitch down with a glass of milk, and I think, I think it was delicious. 
I'm right with you on that. I think milk is one of the most refreshing things you can have. In fact, I had two glasses of milk earlier today because one just wasn't good enough. You had two glasses of milk? Yes. I'm not a fan of milk at all. Wow. Like, at all. Not even chocolate milk? Well, the the thing I could do, yeah, sometimes a little chocolate milk isn't bad, but, like, as a drink, I don't buy into it. Like, I might dip some cookies in it, and I like it creamed and iced. Like, I'm, I'm big on that, but when I was a kid, like, I used to think that milk tasted like the sugar. And cereal. Like, so you would drink that milk at the bottom of the bowl. And I was like, man, milk is so good. And I remember at one point, I was like probably like seven or eight. I went to get a big glass and it would taste so good because I just had the cereal with it. It was like Fruity Pebbles or something like that. Went to drink the milk and it was like that shock. And ever since then, I just, I can't do milk unless it's got like cookie or something dipped in it, you know? Big question. Yeah. Were you looking at skim, 2%? What are you rolling with back in the day? Back in the day, it was always the 2%. Okay. Yeah, and I've tried the whole milk at times. Uh, not a fan, man. It's man. Fun. I keep going back to Ron Burgundy chugging it, too. Like, after he's run all that way and he's got the big beard that's all hot, and he's like, milk was a bad choice. I just It's not a refreshing drink. It's fat. It's animal fat. It is animal fat. Liquefied. It makes strong bones, Brian. I mean, geez. You don't know that. I think that's part of a conspiracy of the greater milk uh people i think they tried to throw that they threw that out with like the got milk campaign i don't know i don't know about the science on milk well i can actually bring not expertise to this but a level of sophistication i think <laughs> because if you go commercial milk sometimes those cows are so jacked up on antibiotics that actually it hurts your bones so you got to go free range cow mother bleepers my mom goes organic milk all the time. Spends yeah. like eight bucks on a on a uh, gallon of milk. It's worth it, man. She says she swears by it. It's got to be pasteurized, though. I mean, we can't be dealing with anything. No, you other. can't drink. You can't no. drink straight from the teat. No, you cannot do that. Well, not a cow. No, I mean, you, well, you wouldn't want to. I no. mean, I guess in like a pinch survival situation, yeah, I guess you could. Maybe. I mean, yeah. what about you, Tom? And let me let me phrase it differently. You were shaking your head at whole milk over there. I mean, if you want the full milk experience, you got to go El Natural, baby. That's the closest thing you get to natural milk is the whole, baby. No, that's too much milk for me. 2% is where they, they made it the perfect amount of milk. I can't do the whole. It's, it's 2% yeah. of what, though, is what I wonder. Like, what's it? What's, skim. Uh, well, they skim, the, they skim more of the fat off the top. Like, basically, they let it sit, and then they skim all that fat that rises to the top. So the next one, then, it would be 1%, and that's where they leave 1% of the fat? I think yes. so. I think and then they leave 2% of the fat? Exactly. And yeah. the whole milk, they leave, what, everything except for, like, the chunkiness? The whole percent of the ch- except for the chunky, yeah. Hmm. We all agree that skim milk is garbage, though, right? Skim milk's stupid. It's literally it's just like, water with, like, milk flavoring water. in it. You can yeah. see through skim milk yes! sometimes, yeah. You can. You get, And it's got the... It's got the blue cap on top, and you can look straight through it. See, as a person who moved around a lot, like, I do buy milk for cooking, you know, and, like, you make some scrambled eggs with it, you throw it in some other stuff, and moving from city to city, every city's got a different color code to their milk, so you get used to just grabbing a color, and I've ended up with accidental skim skim milk, and been like, oh, man, Another conspiracy. I think there should be... I think there should be... Universal color milk. Universal color coding... Metric system style for milk. I think That's if my Hermione Granger was holding up a gallon of 2% milk, she would still have gotten petrified by the basilisk because you'd see right through it. But if she's holding up whole milk, she'd have lived. And that, my friends, is no why you drink whole milk. I have no idea what any of that meant. I know you don't. Now you know how I feel all the time. When you guys are talking about movies, I have no clue.
How do you feel? Not good. You feel left out. I do. They're bullying you later, probably about that. Yeah, it's horrifying to think that I do not know about fantasy realm of uh, Harry Potter. I agree. I'm sorry. You no need to apologize. I mean, your life is just. It's fallen willfully short of where it should be at this point by not seeing Harry Potter. Okay, so. maybe I'll watch it this weekend. Hey, Tom. Yeah. You're missing out on Hall Milk, man. Coming up next. <laughs> Baseball's got a problem. A lot of problems. In fact, we could probably list the problems 1 through 100. We're not going to do that. But the problem that baseball has is that the stars that they do have either aren't marketable or people just don't latch on. And I've got a few theories. Brian's got a few theories. Tom is anti-whole milk, so we'll keep him shut out of the conversation. It's the Crowley Show.